Welcome to this podcast from the Rheumatology and Arthritis Learning Network. I'm your moderator, Rebecca Mashaw. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Vanessa Kronzer, a rheumatologist with the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, about research she and colleagues conducted into the association of anticitrullinated protein antibodies with incident rheumatoid arthritis-associated interstitial lung disease. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Kronzer. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So to begin, could you please explain exactly what anticitrullinated protein antibodies and anti-native protein antibodies are? Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, This was something that I needed to brush up on too when I was doing this study as well. So the short answer is there are two kinds of antibodies that anybody theoretically can have. And recall that antibodies are those Y-shaped proteins in our immune system that help us fight infections and they react to other proteins. And we're all estimated to have a quintillion of them, which means a million trillion of them. But these particular antibodies we studied for whatever reason seem to be more common in people with RA and also it turns out RAILD. So that's what the protein antibodies parts means. And so now are you up for hearing the citrullinated part? Please do explain. Yeah, we'll dive in. So citrullination is just the amino acid arginine changing into citrulline, which usually happens in areas of damage in our bodies. Native, on the other hand, means it's not citrullinated. Since our bodies have over 10,000 proteins, that means theoretically there could be hundreds of proteins that could be citrullinated. Okay, so putting together what we discussed then, when our immune system makes antibodies that react against each of those specific citrullinated proteins, they're called anti-citrullinated protein antibodies or fine specificity ACPA. And anti-native protein antibodies are those that are not citrullinated? Yeah, against proteins that are not citrullinated. Yep. Great. How does all this relate to the development of interstitial lung disease among patients with rheumatoid arthritis? Yeah. So if you are familiar with rheumatology, you might have heard of the clinical test called anti-CCP or anti-cyclic citrullinated protein test. That's often used to help diagnose RA because two-thirds of patients with RA have it, whereas most people without RA don't. And it increases the risk of RAILD too, which we have known for many, many years. So how are the fine specificity ACPAs we studied different from that clinical CCP test we are all familiar with? Well, you can think of the CCP test as an umbrella test that encompasses a few fine specificity ACPAs. But remember, I said there could be hundreds of them, and the CCP test doesn't measure all of them, just a few. And that's important for RA because we know at least 10% of patients, RA patients who are negative for CCP, can be positive for other fine specificity ACPAs. And now we know from our start study in RAILD that certain fine specificity ACPAs that are also not encompassed by the CCP test can indeed be associated with an increased risk of RAILD. So tell us about your findings. Yeah, so uh, the study demographics, uh, we had 84 RAILD cases and 233 matched RA but no ILD controls. And the key findings, I would say there are two. The first key finding was that six 
antibodies, fine specificity antibodies, were strongly associated with RAILD. Three of them citrullinated and three of them native, which was a surprise for us because we were expecting more of the citrullinated to be associated. But regardless, these six antibodies predicted RAILD risk better than all the clinical factors for RAILD risk combined. And um, the area under the curve, or AUC, was very good at 0.84. Whereas before, in a study we had done of just clinical factors, it was only 0.73. So since these antibodies were so predictive, we, we took the next step then of developing a risk score for RAILD for clinicians to use that combines these antibodies with the strongest clinical factors. And it's very good with a specificity now greater than 93% for your RA patients to have RAILD. That's outstanding. And it preempts my next question, which was, <laughs> How can the practicing rheumatologist test for these antibodies? Is this difficult? Is this expensive? But apparently you've created a tool that mm -hmm. makes the process more practical, practical for mm -hmm. the practicing rheumatologist. Yeah, yeah. Because we just made this discovery, labs haven't quite caught up to measuring all these fine specificity ACPAs yet, but hopefully they will once they're aware of our findings. I know that our lab in particular, we're looking into expanding to fine specificity ACPAs right now as we speak. Um, but because we realize that right now labs don't have these yet, we also made a score without the biomarkers so that clinicians can start screening their RA patients for RAILD right now using a threshold uh, we considered clinically important of 50% of the patients you screen would have RAILD. We thought that's the, the cutoff used in scleroderma, for example, about half of patients with scleroderma have ILD and we screen all of them. So we established that as a kind of a cutoff score and then told people that if your patients have this score, you should consider screening for them. How can they obtain this scoring system? It's in our paper, okay. <laughs> um, which is pu published in Lancet Rheumatology. Um, and it's it's very quick to use. You just add up the points and there you have it, just like the myositis score. Okay. How common is ILD? I think you just said about 50% of the patients with scleroderma have it. Is it about the same rate with RA? So it's a little bit less, which is why screening is not standard of care for all RA patients. But I think that as a result, we have made the mistake of not screening anybody with RA unless they have symptoms. And I think that what we should be doing falls in between, which is to screen the high risk patients. That's why we made the point of doing this study. Uh, in RA, about one in six individuals have RAILD. And that it's especially important because having RAILD increases their mortality by two to 10 fold compared to patients having RA without RAILD. Have you seen any uh, changes in the prevalence of ILD among RA patients? So we recently did a study in the Rochester Epidemiology Project to see if incidence was changing over time and didn't see much of a difference. Well, that's good news, at least. Mm -hmm. Your paper mentioned there's some other clinical factors that may also contribute to patients with rheumatoid arthritis developing ILD. Can you tell us a little about that? Yeah, the clinical RAILD score that I mentioned that we developed incorporates the top four clinical factors that we and others have previously found. And in order of their risk, the number one is smoking, especially more than 30 pack years. Number two is high RA disease activity. 
Number three is current glucocorticoid use. I think a lot of people weren't familiar with that before our study that we published a couple of years ago, but it does seem that steroid use may increase the risk of ILD. And then third is obesity, or sorry, fourth is obesity. So no real surprises there, I would assume. Yeah, surprises. So smoking and RA disease activity have been known to be risk factors for RA ILD for some time. But our study that we published a couple of years ago, like I mentioned, the current steroid use was somewhat of a paradigm shift, as well as obesity. That was a newer finding as well. So if the patients at the highest risk of developing ILD can be more easily identified, then what kind of steps could the practicing clinician take to help patients reduce their risks? And I think one of the answers clearly is going to be lifestyle changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the biggest takeaway, if if our listeners take nothing else away from today, I want clinicians to know that we are currently not routinely screening RA patients for RILD because we don't know who to screen. But now we do know how who to screen. And so now I think we should be screening these patients, especially because of how common and deadly it is in our RA patients. Hopefully this will even be incorporated into RA guidelines like it has been for scleroderma. Um, And you make a good point though about the lifestyle changes for our high risk patients who are lucky not to have developed RAILD yet. We should study that. Um, there, like I mentioned, smoking and obesity might be ones that are modifiable. Um, and for the clinicians, keep in mind that reducing your patient's RA disease activity and consider not prescribing steroids might help them as well. So as with many autoimmune illnesses, keeping the disease under control seems to be essential to the overall health mm-hmm. of the patient. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Okay. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today about this. It's really interesting, and I uh, look forward to talking with you as your research continues. Yeah, sounds good. Likewise. Thank you.